Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. A draft majority opinion obtained by Politico appears to show that the U.S. Supreme Court could be poised to overturn the landmark Roe v. Wade abortion rights decision. If the draft opinion from Justice Samuel Alito is adopted, that would leave the decision about whether to allow abortions up to states, and more than half are likely to outlaw abortions in some form. Upon hearing the news, Democrats here in California reacted swiftly. Governor Gavin Newsom called it an appalling attack on the rights of women. Newsom, along with Senate President Pro Tem Tony Atkins and Assembly Speaker Anthony Rendon, released a joint statement saying they will ask voters in November to place permanent protections for abortions in the California Constitution. We wanted to look at how overturning Roe v. Wade could impact California. So the California Report's Keith Mizuguchi spoke with Shannon Olivieri Hovis, director of NARAL Pro-Choice California. We first asked her about her reaction to the Politico story. Honestly, I was shocked. I mean, the leak of a draft majority opinion in the Jackson women's health case is the most alarming and ominous sign yet of what's to come for the future of abortion rights and access to the United States. And while, you know, abortion is still legal, and I think it's really important that we emphasize that abortion is still legal in this country, and this is a draft opinion, the Supreme Court clearly appears poised to overturn Roe v. Wade. California is obviously one of the most friendly pro-choice states in the U.S. If this does happen months down the line here with the Supreme Court, what will this mean for abortion rights here in California? What this means for California truly is that California's role in the fight for reproductive freedom has never been more important. We are a reproductive freedom state. The governor has affirmed that, the legislature has affirmed that, and we must continue to earn that designation. And that means ensuring that we are in fact able to provide care for all who may need to access it in our state. Neyral Patrice California is a founding member of the California Future of Abortion Council. And we are preparing California for precisely this moment. It is dire. It is devastating. But we have to be ready. And the reality is that if if the right to legal abortion falls in 28 states, more than half of the United States, millions and millions of women and pregnant people are going to find themselves in need of care. And they are going to be searching and seeking out states like ours that can provide these safe havens for them to access that care. I know other states have already passed legislation making it more difficult to get abortions. Has California already seen an uptick in people from out of state that are looking to get abortions? Absolutely. So you don't have to wait to see what happens when the court decides this case, right? We've already seen that 
by the Supreme Court letting Texas's SB 8, the enforced ban on abortion, continue to stand, pregnant people in Texas are being forced to travel all over the country if they're able, right? And that includes California. California has seen a significant increase in out-of-state patients. And of course, those who can't afford to travel can be forced to carry a pregnancy to term against their will. We anticipate that we will see an astronomical increase in out-of-state patients accessing care in the state of California. And just one example of this, if Roe falls, an additional 1.4 million women of reproductive age will find their nearest abortion clinic in the state of California. I know the state has been preparing for this kind of influx of new patients. Is the state prepared? Do we need more facilities, more clinics? How do you think the state is prepared right now as we stand? We've been able to provide care for Californians, and now we have to be prepared to provide care for anyone throughout the country who may need to access care within our state. So that means absolutely ramping up our ability to provide practical, direct support to patients seeking abortion care. It means addressing cost barriers. It means ensuring that we can address California's provider shortage. It means ensuring that legal protections are there for abortion patients, providers, and supporting organizations and individuals, anybody who would help somebody access abortion care, we need to to ensure that they are protected against these hostile bans in other states and any form of litigation that could follow them. So this is really a full comprehensive effort that we're engaged in in California. And that was the work of the California Future Abortion Council to really look at our access and our existing barriers. How are we going to be in a position to face a a post-Roe world and provide care in the way that it needs to be provided for folks around this country? That was Shannon Olivieri Hovis, director of NARAL Pro-Choice California, speaking with the California Report's Keith Mizuguchi. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. 
Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. A Central Valley lawmaker wants the state to conduct an independent audit into how the Cal State University system handles sexual harassment allegations. Unfortunately, the, the CSU University system has done some embarrassing things, hurtful things, uh, and the university itself seems to be very protective of the higher echelons. That's Republican Assembly member Jim Patterson of Fresno. He and a bipartisan coalition of lawmakers have signed an official request for review of how the CSU system's Title IX offices process complaints. It comes after reports of mishandled sexual misconduct allegations at three Cal State campuses. Most notably, Fresno State administrators are accused of botching sexual harassment claims against former Vice President of Student Affairs Frank Lamas. The university's then-president Joseph Castro allegedly signed off on a six-figure settlement with Lamas, despite being aware of the administrator's alleged sexual misconduct. Earlier this year, Castro resigned as CSU chancellor. The audit would be separate from the one the CSU is conducting into Fresno State, and it would include a probe of the chancellor's office. In a recent op-ed for the San Francisco Chronicle, former legislative staffer Ruth Ferguson details her experiences working in the office of Bay Area Assemblymember Mark Berman. Experiences, she says, included harassment from her direct supervisor and retaliation for reporting incidents that concerned her. Ferguson says she reported the harassment to her chief of staff, but no action was taken. The Workplace Conduct Unit, or WCU, investigates workplace harassment complaints in the state legislature and launched shortly before Ferguson was hired. In an interview with the California Report, Ferguson explained what happened when she got a call from a WCU investigator about an anonymous complaint of misconduct in Berman's office. When I told her about everything that I experienced, she asked if I would file an anonymous complaint. And at that time I agreed. And I again reiterated that I felt comfortable or comforted that there was somebody else, at least one person who had come forward. She took my complaint and then told me that there would be a preliminary investigation. And then in mid-September, she called me back and she told me it was a courtesy call that she was calling to tell me that the unit had opened an official uh, investigation into my allegations. And I was really stunned. I didn't know that it would move forward without my knowing. I was scared. And that's also when she told me that not only had the notices already been sent out to my chief of staff and my supervisor, but also that they, in her words, she said they had to tell my chief of staff about my retaliation complaint and they had to give him my name. Even though, you know, I had received these promises that it was an anonymous complaint, that they would do their best to, you know, shield my identity, they, without my knowing, without telling me until it was already over, they told my chief of staff directly that I made the complaint. The WCU actually launched an investigation into your conduct, correct? Yes, they did. What do you make of that? When I was notified that now... I was being accused of kind of being the instigator and the harasser. It was like, it, and devastating is not even, it's not the right word because it just, it was terrifying. It made me feel not only that, you know, they officially hadn't believed me 
And by saying that it was unsubstantiated, they were actually determining that based on their evaluation, it didn't happen. But now, you know, turning the tables on me was it was shocking. I did not expect that. Um, and now I've learned, you know, that that's a pretty common tactic that harassers use as a, a defense mechanism. What do you think needs to be done to fix this system? Yeah, so I have um, three clear asks of the legislature. So first of all, I, I we think that it's really important for the legislature to investigate the failures of the WCU. Secondly, we're demanding transparency in this process. And third, really demanding accountability. When we're talking about an investigation into the failures of the WCU, I think it's really important for the legislature to give an independent panel or council or ideally the state auditor the authority to investigate these practices because Californians really deserve answers and they deserve a fair evaluation. Secondly, when we're talking about transparency, I'm asking the legislature to hold their own system accountable and release misconduct records because currently no one, not reporters, not lawyers, not you know the public, no one has access to these records. And lastly, I think too, I'm demanding accountability. You know, the legislature pass protections in AB 403 by Assemblymember Melendez called the Legislative Employee Whistleblower Protection Act. Before then, legislative employees actually weren't protected from retaliation. And so those changes were pivotal. And at the same time, they don't actually protect staffers unless staffers choose to go through the legal system and hold the legislature's feet to the fire. That was former legislative staffer Ruth Ferguson. The WCU's investigation into Ferguson's conduct found she violated workplace rules for making inappropriate comments to colleagues in the workplace. In a statement, Assemblymember Mark Berman said he deeply regrets Ferguson had a negative experience working in his office. He said that he respects the conclusions reached by the WCU and supports remedial actions that were taken as a result, but is unable to comment further due to possible litigation. Ferguson's claims have raised questions about the transparency of investigations conducted by the Workplace Conduct Unit. State Senator Scott Weiner of San Francisco says the state legislature should look into the WCU so legislative staffers feel safe when they come forward to report misconduct in the workplace. Vita Thomas is a partner with Oppenheimer Investigations Group based in the Bay Area. She's conducted more than 200 workplace investigations and had no prior knowledge of the investigation itself. She says that if what Ferguson claims is true about her supervisor not reporting her claims to the WCU, that's problematic. Employees are reluctant to come forward and a wise employer does try to build all sorts of mechanisms, make all sorts of mechanisms available to an aggrieved employee to come forward with their concerns. That mechanism won't have the intended effect, however, if those who have these obligations to bring complaints to the proper investigating office don't do so. Thomas does say that in most harassment cases, a person's name is typically revealed, even during an anonymous investigation. She also says not revealing the full scope of the investigation to all the parties involved is fairly common due to attorney-client privilege. (music) 
And that's the California Report for Tuesday, May 3rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Alex Hall. Thanks for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.